Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. My name is J.D., and I am the lead pastor here at Antioch. And if we haven't met, I want to know you. Um, And so please come introduce yourself to me. Um, And here's the deal. Uh, I just cannot say it enough. Merry Christmas. Don't you just love Christmas? And we're almost there, okay? Like, we're like really, really almost there. Like, the gifts have already started opening in our house. Like, don't judge us, but we kind of like a trickle Christmas at times, mostly because I cannot stand knowing what I got someone and them not knowing what I got them, right? Like, I want people to know how good I did. Anybody else? Right? Like, so I I am, my kids know, like, go ask dad for the permission to open a gift early because the answer is always going to be yes. Right? Like, Liz has to hold it down. If it was up to me, I would probably give the gift when I purchase it. Um, Just like, Merry Christmas. It's November 29th, like, here you go. I got it. Look how good I did. Right? So, but we're almost there. We've got family Christmas tonight, Liz's family Christmas tomorrow, my, fam- my family's Christmas on Christmas Eve, stockings on Christmas. This is just a gift week, all right? Like, so I'm pumped up. I'm excited about it. Um, and we've been in a series of talks kind of leading through this Christmas season that is kind of what the global church does. It's the season of Advent. And what we've been looking at is the fact that we have been waiting or humanity has been waiting for the arrival of a Messiah. And that Messiah is Jesus. And we've been reading at the beginning of every one of these messages this very famous Christmas passage out of Isaiah 9 verse 6. And it says, For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, we've been leaning in to the fact that this is a declaration of a conquering hero that is to come to rescue us from all of the trouble that we encounter in life. Can I get an amen? But what we've been realizing is that at times we are waiting for this Messiah to rescue us from trouble and we miss the fact that he's the God who's with us in trouble. That he's Emmanuel, he is the God who is with us. And this morning what I'd like to do is to try my best to do the impossible, which is to lean into the fact that God has come with love for us. Now, if you think about these different topics that we oftentimes hit throughout Advent, like hope, right? Like have hope in hopeless situations, peace, be peaceful, walk in the peace of God. He's in control, joy, that there's, there's a difference in joy and happiness and that we can experience joy even in the midst of difficulty. But then we come to this idea of love and can we just all agree that it's absurd that we would try to define the love of God? I mean, the Bible's definition of the love of God is this. In Psalms 103, it says it this way. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who 
fear him. So this is the psalmist's attempt to describe this infinite love by using a measure that doesn't exist. Okay, so can we just all agree that there's no way that we're going to leave this morning with the full picture of the love that God has for us. But that's not my goal. My goal for us is that we would leave with a little bit more understanding of the nature of the love that God has for us. The definition goes even further of this this amazing love in John 3.16, maybe the most famous scripture in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world. Right? This whole story, this whole Christmas story is, capt- is captured in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he would give his only son. Right? Like, so you have to understand that the love of God will stop at nothing to reach us. There's nothing that the Father in heaven will not do to close the gap between heaven and earth. And my heart is that we would grasp a little bit of of what Paul described the love of God as in Ephesians 3.18 when he said, How wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Can we just pray together? Jesus, thank you for your love for us. And Lord, I'm asking that you would reveal to us in a deeper measure how wide and high and deep is your great love. Lord, I do pray for the ability to be able to hear the truth this morning. That our minds and our hearts would be open to receive this earth-shattering truth that you're a God that came to save us and not to condemn us. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Now, in college, from time to time, there were these retreats that would happen with our college ministry that I was involved in at Baylor. And I love these retreats because they were a combination of everything that I think is great about life. Jesus, worship, food, fire, and competition. And so all of those things are going to happen at a retreat. And so I loved them no matter when it was, no matter when it was happening, who was going to be there. It could be a women's retreat. I would find a way. To go and serve or something because I love I love the combination, man. I love it. And here's the thing. I really, 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 really love the games that would be played because it's an opportunity to win. Now, I just want to say I'm a super competitive person. I know that a lot of you, maybe most of you, are not competitive and you've bought into this illusion that there are no winners in life and everybody should get a ribbon and like, you know, every, no, there, there, no one gets a participation bonus at their work. Can I get an Amen. No, no boss comes to you and says, way to go for showing up. We're going to give you a ribbon. No. All right. So look, there are winners and there are losers. And winners win and losers lose. All right. Like it's, it's, it's a fact. 
all right, and I am committed to being on the winning side. I'm so committed to be on the winning side that oftentimes my desire to win will overtake wisdom. Okay, and, 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 and the proof is in the pudding. I had a record. I was undefeated at all Antioch events. Not undefeated in the winning column. I was undefeated in trips to the emergency room. I got more concussions on church retreats in college than I did playing football. I went hard at all times, at all costs, because I wanted to win. Now, this specific retreat, at the end of it, we were doing this kind of obstacle course slash scavenger hunt. And so they placed these different clues all throughout the camp, and you had to, like, climb trees and run and all this stuff. It was perfect okay like it was worship (laughs) I love I was experiencing the pleasure of God and it really became clear that it was really between two teams the team I was on of course that was supposed to be a joke the team I was on and the team that my best friends were on okay and we were going for it like charging just like making it happen and it's like neck and neck and neck and neck and we're just going from event to event to event to event And we get to the next place, which led us to the pier. And you could see that the next clue was taped onto a buoy that was in the middle of this pond. And so there were like kayaks and canoes and different modes of floating transportation that could have been used to retrieve that clue. But... But competition overtook me. The need to win consumed me and took over any sort of wisdom inside of me. And so fully clothed, shoes, jeans, the whole deal, jump off the pier. No one asked me to. No one said, J.D., go get the clue. I just said, we've got to win. They're coming. So I jump into the water and start swimming as hard and as fast as I can. Now, here's the thing. I did swim team in elementary school. So I thought that I was a great swimmer, but you know, there's this thing that happens when you swim in open water. It's different than a pool. And so I am giving everything that I have, and I look up thinking that the buoy is like going to be right in front of me, and it's like I haven't gone anywhere. And I'm exhausted, and my jeans and my shoes are heavy, and I'm having trouble, and here comes my buddies on a canoe. Right? But now I'm committed. Like, I can't ask for help. No. Like, so I have to finish the swim. I get out there. I grab it. I come back. We get, like, in last place because I wanted to win. And, and you, the real problem was is that humans are horrible at judging distances. Have you ever thought that something was closer than it was? Specifically like in water, you're like, oh, yeah, that's just like right there. And then you realize like, no, no, no. It's like way far out because we really struggle to judge distances. And and I'm going to be truthful here. I don't think that our inability to judge distances stops in the natural. I actually think that we have a hard time judging distance even in the supernatural. And we become more aware of the distance between heaven and earth 
then we are aware of the fact that heaven came to earth. Because we are bad at judging distances. And I, I, I love how Romans 7.15 puts it because it's important that we understand this. That, that most of us have a wrestle in us that is this inability to reconcile what we've done and the love that God has for us. It plays its way out in different ways and different personalities, but the fact is there's a wrestle in all of us that is, that is fighting against our ability to understand that God actually has come to love us. And, and I call that tension the revelation of distance. That, that oftentimes we're more aware of the revelation of distance than we are the revelation that God has come to close the gap by sending His Son to come and be the sacrifice that our sins deserve so that we might have life, not just forever in heaven, but here on earth. And so we live with this, this understanding of how far away heaven is from earth and that tension, that revelation of distance robs us of enjoying the fact that God has actually come to earth. In Romans 7, verse 15 explains this tension, and this is the Apostle Paul, he writes this, I don't understand what I do. I love that. This is the Apostle Paul, if you're not familiar with the Bible, understand this. Paul, before Jesus rescued him, bragged about the fact that he was the Jew of Jews. What that means is, is that he was a master at following the rules, checking the boxes, and being seen by the religious customs of the day of being right, being living righteously, and putting God first in all things. This is, this is Paul, and Paul writes, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. Verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature, for I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. What he's saying is I'm aware of the distance between how I live and how I want to live. I'm aware that there's a gap, that there's a space, for I don't do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. For I do what I do not want to do. It is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin that is living in me that does it. Now, what this means is that in all of us, there's a tension of being aware of the sin that is in us. This Paul refers to it as our sin nature that we've all been subjected to in light of the fallenness of the world and the depravity of our lives, okay? The depravity of humanity. And this tension is that revelation of distance. It's that understanding that we're aware of the space between heaven and earth more than we're aware of the love that came down to earth. And, and that revelation of 
distance, we're horrible at judging how to close that gap. We can't figure out how to do it and what to do. And that's why Paul would describe the love of God to us in Ephesians 3 by saying, I pray that you would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Because it was Paul that wrote about this tension of the sin nature in Romans 7 as well. And he knew that the fight for us to receive the love that God has come to us was going to fight against the revelation of distance that our sin has taught us. Meaning that we can understand that God loves us and not receive the love that God has for us. That there's a tension, there's a, there, there are two revelations that are playing out in our souls. There's the revelation of distance that we're aware of how far away we are from where we should be. But we also can understand that God has come to love us and to close the gap for us. Again, Genesis 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son The nature of the love of God closes gaps. Do you see it? That that who Jesus is and how he demonstrated rescuing the earth was he came from heaven to earth. He closed the gap. The distance between heaven and earth in light of Jesus' sacrifice has been closed. There's even this picture in the temple when Jesus died on the cross, there was this earthly picture of the separation between the righteous and the holiness of God and the temple courts and the rest of the temple. And when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn in two, symbolizing that there's nothing that separates us from the love that God has for us. That Jesus' sacrifice was a gap-closing, distance-filling love. It was a love that was wide, long, and deep. Isn't it amazing that most of the descriptors that we have in the Bible of the love of God revolve around distance? Because the human understanding of shame, no one has to tell you, isn't it interesting, no one has to teach you to pull away when you screw up. Have you noticed that? You could see it from, from, from the littlest kid all the way to the oldest person. The natural human tendency on the backside of failure is to pull back. It's not to lean in. It's to pull back. Why? Because the revelation of distance has taught us that there is a space between how we live And who God is. And that revelation of distance, that space between where we live and the glory that is who Jesus is, that space, we're more aware of that space than we are at times aware that Jesus came to close that gap. We dwell more on the revelation of distance than we do the revelation of the Father's love for us. 
So we live in that tension that Paul talks about doing what we don't want to do, hating what we do, knowing what we should do, but not being able to do the things we want to do because we will never be perfect. Can you hear me? If you are waiting to somehow get life right and then you'll be okay, you'll be waiting your whole life. All of us will fall short. All of us will miss the mark. All of us will get frustrated at somebody. Say something you shouldn't. Look at something you shouldn't. Spend money in a way that you shouldn't. There is not a single one of us that will look back on our life and say, nailed it, perfect. No, we are fallen, screwed up, jacked up. Therefore, we can't make our way to the love of God. We have to understand that the love of God has made a way to come to us. The revelation of distance will lie to us and tell us that the gap is too big. And Jesus has been and will be forever reminding us that his love is is wider than the widest gap that our life can create. It's deeper than the deepest cave we find ourselves in. And it is longer than any distance that we can try to run from him. And Jesus spent his life in ministry demonstrating this love that closes gap, that erases failure. And there's no better story to see how he did that than in John 8. John 8. Starting in verse 2, it says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded that we stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And they kept questioning him. And he straightened up. I'm sorry, I skipped. <laughs> they were using this question as a trap. Verse 6. In order to have a basis of accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him. He straightened up and he said to them. Let one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, it says he stooped down and wrote in the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said then neither do I. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Now the layers of what's happening here are many. You have a woman who was caught in sin. Red-handed, not accused, not hearsay, in the act. She was guilty. She was in the wrong. She was brought before Jesus for punishment, okay? And, and the people that brought her to Jesus knew what the law said, that the gap, the distance of how this woman lived and who God was 
according to the law of Moses, that that was a gap that could not be restored. It must just be punished. And the reason they wanted to put him in this situation is because they're looking for a reason to look at him and say, you can't be who you say that you are because you're asking us to do something that is contrary to the law that you declare that you came to fulfill. And so they're trying to put Jesus in a political situation. Do you see it? This is like a politically charged moment. He's wrong if he does. He's wrong if he doesn't. How can this man who preaches mercy allow this woman to be killed? That's to fulfill the law would be that she would receive punishment by stoning. But if he doesn't do that, then how can this man be the man who he says that he is if he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill all that the law requires? How could he do something that's contrary to the law? Jesus takes this moment to reveal to us what is said of him in John 3.17, which is, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus stood in front of her, knelt down, and then said, okay, anyone who's perfect, anyone who's never screwed up, you be the first to fulfill what the law requires. See, Jesus wasn't just making a ploy. Jesus was revealing a truth that there's only one judge. There's only one who has the authority to rightfully judge. And the one who had the authority to rightfully judge says, I'm coming to save you, young lady. I'm not coming to condemn you. And his love for her erased the gap that her sin had created. He said, look, I see how far you've fallen, but I'm coming to you because I love you. Jesus' love for us is a love that closes the gap that our sin creates for us. You see, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That should get an amen. Just so you know, if you find yourself in a bit of a fight, you can use that scripture. That's a good one. If God's for us, who can be against us? If God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, right? The the God of heaven and on earth would stop at nothing, would not spare his own son. He would not do anything that would not close the gap between his righteousness and our sinfulness. He gave up his own son and he will graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, difficulty, hardship, persecution, famine, 
nakedness or that's just like shame. Danger or a sword, for it's written, for your sake we face death all day long and we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In verse 37, no, in all things, we are made more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than conquerors through him who loves us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, or any power, height, or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear that? Can I just read verse 38 one more time? It says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any power, neither height nor death or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God, excuse me, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what that means for us is that there is not one thing outside of us. Not one thing in the natural or in the supernatural that can put distance between us and God. But what it does not mean is that at times that we might feel like there's distance. So why? Why is it that nothing can separate us, but there can be moments that it sure does feel like it. It sure does feel like that distance is more clear. That revelation of distance is louder than the revelation of God's love for me. Like, so why does that happen? Like, why is it that we will experience the truth that God is for us, but not be able to receive the love that he's given us access to. Because it's like this. I'm going to have this big box brought out for us as a picture of what goes on inside of us, even in light of the fact that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Here's the facts. The fact is, is that I'm here and God's here. This distance is what my sin has created. This distance is real. Our sin separates us from God. That distance is a real thing. That's not made up. That's not a, uh, an illusion of religion. That is a fact. How we live apart from the perfect plan of God separates us from God. But what Jesus did was he removed the distance. But my shame will keep me standing at a distance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's nothing here. There's, there's nothing that's separating me from the love of God. I've got full access to all of his love and care and grace and provision. But the shame of what I've done will hold me back at a distance, even though there's nothing that will separate me in the natural or in the supernatural from the love of God, I will separate myself because the biggest tension in all of us is that we do what we don't want to do and what we do we hate. 
No one has to tell you about your failures. You're aware of them. You know where you've screwed up. You know the sandpaper parts of your personality. You know the character flaws. Oftentimes we get defensive if you're anything like me. It's not because we're surprised when we're confronted with our failure. It's because we're grieved that somebody else sees them. I mean, there's not, you can come up to me and tell me, look, you're this, this, and this, and I'll be like, I know. Like, we're, we're aware of our failure. We're aware of the distance. We understand how far it is away from where we're called to be. Like, that's not hard. That's just what the revelation of distance has been teaching us for our entire lives. What's hard is saying there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God. So when we were still sinners, Christ died for us and closed the gap of our sin. So no matter what we've done, no matter what our story is, Jesus stood in our place not to condemn us, but to save us. His love closed the gap that our sin has created and it is in Him and through Him that we will experience the love that the Father has for us. The nature of the love of God is a love that closes the distance between where we are and who He is. And listen, there is no greater attack on the church than to get us to think that there's distance because of our failure. The devil can't steal your salvation. He can't. He can't touch it. But he can get you to not enjoy it. You can be saved, set free, nothing separating you, and your shame can keep you at a distance from enjoying the fullness of who God is. Because you think like this woman, the gap is too far. You don't know who I am. Jesus is like, no, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. So look, who's here to judge you? I'm the only one that can. And so I'm telling you, go leave your life of sin. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to hold you to what you were. I'm going to call you to who you are. And the love of God is a distance closing love. It's a gap shrinking love because there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing that can separate us because there was a child that was born. There was a child that was born, a son that was given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of peace and this amazing God who came to rescue us the great rescue mission of heaven he came to save us not to condemn us to love us not to judge us no matter how broken we feel like we are no matter how deep we feel like we are no matter how far we feel like we are God's love is wider it's deeper it's longer there's nowhere we can go to hide from it there's no rock we can put ourselves under to escape it his love closes the gap and encountering his love will lead to the transformation in our lives that we long for 
Oftentimes we're trying to get free so that we can receive the love of the Father, but it's the love of the Father that will give us the fuel that we need to walk free. You can't get yourself right. You can't make yourself closer to righteousness. No. You'll be just like Paul. You're going to keep doing what you hate. Hating what you do. Knowing what you should do, but keep making the wrong decisions. It's God who comes to us. It's the love of God that rescues us. It's Emmanuel. God with us. He's with us. He's not far from us. He's with us. There's nothing that separates us from the love that Jesus has given us access to. Amen. Can you stand to your feet?